0: Hello, and welcome to the Hidden Archives. I'm your host for the evening, Philip Clark. Thank you for joining us at the start of our third season. We are very excited to be back and have a fantastic and frightening adventure planned for this season. I know we have been absent between seasons again, but a lot has been going on, as usual. So we are operating at the highest capacity possible I do want to let you know, however, that one of our main contributors has been having a rough go of things lately. I think he would appreciate it if you expressed your well wishes for him. Feel free to find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to do so, and we will relay the messages. Once again, we look to Dante Alighieri for some wisdom moving forward. He has written, Remember tonight, for it is the beginning of always. Specifically, tonight, what I want you to remember is this. If you choose to enter the hidden archives, if you choose to study the tomes, if you choose to take this journey with me, you do so at your own risk. Profanity and disturbing content will follow. This is your warning. In this evening's presentation, we are introduced to a woman who has entered into a wager of sorts. This wager, initially seeming to be nothing more than harmless fun and an easy way to make a small fortune, turns into something sinister when unforeseen circumstances start to play a major role.
1: Have you ever seen that old Twilight Zone episode titled The Silence? If not, or if you don't know the episode titles, I'll explain the plot very briefly. The protagonist of the story is a guy who's a member of some elitist gentleman's club. Fairly young guy, socializing with a bunch of rich old farts. Incidentally, he's a bit of a motormouth, just can't stop talking and annoying the other members with his incessant chatter. Eventually, one member of the club has decided he has had enough and only wishes for some silence. So he bets the young chatterbox that he can't go one year without talking offers him 500k to stay locked in a controlled room. At the end of the year, if he has remained silent, the kid gets the money. Well, long story short, the young dude wins the bet. However, the old guy reveals that he never had the money to back it. It's at this point that we find out, before the kid was locked in the room for the bet, he had his own vocal cords cut because he knew he would lose if he didn't do something drastic like that. Thing is, he really needed the money, so he was dead set on winning no matter what. Some fucked up shit, right? Well, maybe. Still, though, my friend saw something of myself in that story. You see, I'm a really social individual. I wouldn't say that I'm popular or anything, but I can't seem to go a single day without trying to make a new friend, making small talk with the old lady at the bus stop, or getting into a philosophical discussion with the coffee shop barista. You get the idea. I'm just in my element, at the top of my game when I'm interacting with other people. Social interaction is like a drug to me. So much so, in fact, that it started to have some of the same negative consequences as drugs. For example, my job performance took a hit because I never clocked in on time. I was always stuck talking to some poor sap that also ended up being late because of me. I have a tendency to trash fragile friendships because I have no boundaries on what may or may not be socially acceptable to discuss. No, nothing like that. It's usually something political. I mean, I'm not a creep. But I think you get the idea. I have to be around people. I need my voice to be heard, and I ask too many questions. So what does some old sci-fi horror show have to do with this? Simple. The previously mentioned episode was the inspiration for a very similar bet, a dare, really, that my friends challenged me to. It all started when we were hanging out watching old movies and television, as we did at least once a week, when that cursed episode came on. I had recently lost my job, due to my regular tardiness with clocking in, and not getting reports and projects turned in on time. I did have some money saved up, and I wasn't in a bad way, but I was still kind of sour about the whole thing. I was bitching about it after watching that episode when one of my buddies told me that I am just like the guy from the show. Of course, I argued, saying that I can be silent. I don't have to talk. I can just listen or chill or hang out. But my friend said that's the whole point. I can't be alone. He said I'd probably go insane if I was left to my own devices for more than a few days. So he proposed the following challenge. We recreate the bet from the Twilight Zone episode with a few changes. First, he proposed that we just use my apartment instead of a room constructed for this purpose. A lot cheaper this way. Plus, there is no clear glass for me to socialize distantly, except for my window. But that shouldn't matter because I'm in a fifth-floor walk-up with no balcony. And the window, which doesn't open and is made of ridiculously hard security glass, faces a wall in an alley. Second, instead of people constantly checking in on me to make sure I'm being honest, kind of defeats the whole purpose. We would install cameras everywhere except the bathroom. Finally, we would install a time lock on my door to keep me in. One where either I wait for the time to expire for it to unlock, or if I cave or need help, then someone on the outside can override it remotely. Those were the major details of the bet. The minor ones were that my apartment would be fully stocked with food for the first four months. Then I would be resupplied at that point, and at the eight-month mark. This was so I couldn't go out or use delivery. My friends would take care of paying my utilities and other costs of living so that I couldn't call customer service to make payments or report problems as an excuse to socialize. As for internet access, this would also be taken care of by them, fully managed and paid for so that I couldn't cheat by going online. All I would have would be a subscription for a few streaming services, but all other internet access would be blocked even to non-social media sites. Couldn't have me getting in discussions and comment threads on news articles, now could we? All I could have was TV, movies, music, and video games on a console old enough that it didn't have internet access. If I've left out any details, then it's only because I'm trying to keep this as brief as possible. Rest assured, we thought of everything. All I had to do was stay by myself, with no socializing, for one year. If I managed, everyone who agreed to be in on the bet would contribute fifteen thousand dollars, seeing as there were seven people in on it, I stood to make over a hundred grand, less than the guy from the Twilight Zone episode, but more than enough, especially when you consider that they were covering all of my other costs, plus the costs associated with actually carrying out the bet. These are the perks of having rich friends well. For better or worse, I agreed, and everything was set in motion. If I needed any sort of help, or if I quit the bet, all I had to do was push a button, one of which was installed in every room of my apartment at light switch and floor level. Pushing this button would send a text to those seven people, and they would immediately intervene. But I had no intentions of ever doing this. I was dead set on winning this thing. It was this kind of determination that got me here in this awful predicament. So let me tell you how it all went down. We set all the details, got everything signed and notarized, including everyone involved putting their money into a special account for the bet, and then the construction began. It was pretty quick work to install the cameras and locks, and there was no hassle because I owned my apartment, no landlord to stand in the way. The only hard part was changing all the accounts tied to my living situation. Apparently having your friends control and pay for your utilities from a different address, all in the name of a bet, is highly irregular. I think a few bribes were made, to be honest. Not that that even matters at this point. It took about two weeks to settle everything, and then for all eight of us to be convinced that this wasn't a horrible idea. Just in case, however, it was agreed that one specific camera would be pointed at a whiteboard in my living room so that if there was an issue, or something I needed, I could write it there and they would be able to see it and make accommodations. This wouldn't count as socializing as they would use it to make judgment calls on my well-being. If I ran low on some supplies, I could write it down, and they would be able to get me what I needed within a day or two. Or, if I started writing weird shit, they could make the call to end it, even if I never asked, and I would get a portion of the winnings. What could possibly go wrong? Well, shit, let me outline this for you. We had a huge party two days before the bet was due to start. All of my friends were there, even ones who weren't in on the bet. We figured that it might be a good idea to let people know why I would be dropping off the face of the earth for a whole year. We also figured that I should get in all the socializing I could manage before I was sequestered. Let me tell you, that night was one of the best of my life. I figured it would be more than enough to hold me over for a year. Then, when I got out, we could do it all again. We went really hard on the partying, which is why we did this two days before the start of the bet. We kind of figured that I would need a day to recover before I had no access to hangover remedies. But after this day was over, at precisely midnight of July sixth, I said my final see-you-laters. The time was entered onto the lock, and I was sealed in. I remember thinking, I can do this. Piece of cake. Hell, that was the first message I wrote on the whiteboard. I did this partially to top my friends, and partially as a reminder to myself. Right after I had written it, my living room lights flashed, the signal that my friends had gotten my message. The first week or two were a piece of cake, too. I spent my time binge-watching television shows that I had fallen behind on, playing nostalgic video games from my youth, and working out. I was trying to stay healthy and fit, so I would do a light workout two or three times a day. I coupled this with practicing portion control and avoiding snacking. I mean, I wasn't about to lose because of developing an acute medical condition. Plus, I wanted to make sure that my food rations would last. This was a minor concern, however, because the second bedroom of my apartment was converted into a doomsday style pantry. It was filled with non perishables, cans, and MRE type items and two large deep freezers were installed to allow me to have some fresh foods, like fruits, vegetables, and meats. Honestly, I probably had enough food to last almost the whole year. Yeah, the first two weeks were actually really good for me. But after that, the gravity of what I had agreed to really started to set in. It was almost like going through withdrawals from drugs. I even began to get a little paranoid. At the end of the first month, I took a huge risk for the bet, and wrote on the whiteboard, Are you guys still there? I waited for about five agonizing minutes of paranoia, and then the lights in the living room dimmed and came back on. Again, this was the signal that my message was received. If they had decided to count it as socializing, thus meaning I lost the bet, then they would have turned the lights red. It was a stupid, risky move, especially so early on in the bet. But my friends were forgiving, apparently. second month. After almost panicking my way out of over a hundred grand, I decided to be more careful. I decided this next month would be a month of growth for me. I'd cut back on television and video games, and instead I would meditate, read, and journal. I even erased the previous message of, I can do this, piece of cake, on my whiteboard, and wrote a new reminder to myself. I must get to know myself. There was no light flash this time, but that didn't matter. It was a message to myself. It was true. And it was the start of my quote of the month. I will say, I really did start to thrive in that second month. I realized things about myself, built a new inner strength, and started to finally feel peace in solitude. It was eye-opening. I wondered if I would ever be the same after this experiment or if I would come out on the other side as a new, more actualized individual. It was actually amazing, and something I do not regret in the slightest. This was a month of true personal development. The Third Month I went into the third month as a new woman. Something deep inside me had changed in a profound way, and this gave me a stronger resolve than ever to see this bet through. However, I was still looking forward to my impending resupply at the end of the fourth month. This was still some time away, but I was over the hump now. Though this month was planned to be one of peace and contentment, I did set some goals for myself. I started off by changing my quote of the month to something that I thought was deep and philosophical. Midway upon the journey of my life, I found myself in a forest dark, for the straightforward path had been lost. This is a quote from The Inferno by Dante. I had recently finished reading The Divine Comedy, and this quote resonated with me. But I knew that the ultimate outcome was that I would make it out of this intact, just like in The Inferno. It was a trial, but I could push through. I would push through. I hadn't written anything on the whiteboard since the last quote of the month. I was doing well in that respect. And, just like last time, there was no flash of the living room lights. I think this is because my friends realized that these quotes and passages were for me. They were healthy. Not only would I come out of this a little bit richer, but I would come out of this enriched as well. All in all, I stood with everything to gain and nothing to lose. Or so I thought. The fourth month. Just as I figured, the third month went easy. I was living on cloud nine. I couldn't be stopped. That month was filled with reading and writing in my journal. I even wrote a few short stories. So, needless to say, I was feeling good and refreshed. I didn't watch TV or play video games. All I did was try to better myself, educate myself, and learn to be happy with myself. But when the fourth month rolled along, I could only think about getting my resupply package. I still hadn't written anything else on the whiteboard. Not only was there no socialization, but there was no communication with anyone at all in the outside world. But the power was still on, and the water was still running, so I figured that everything was good. That is, until resupply day came. As agreed upon, when I knew a resupply was coming, I would lock myself in the bedroom's bathroom. This would mean there would be two walls and two doors between me and the package drop which they would leave in the living room for me to put away later. The living room lights flashed twice, letting me know that I had 10 minutes to get locked away. If I was seen by my friends as they left the package, I would lose the bet. So I quickly locked myself in the tiny off-suite bathroom and waited. About 25 minutes later, the lights in the bathroom flashed twice, giving me the all-clear. I practically bolted through the bathroom door, and then the bedroom door, and into the living room where my supplies waited. Sure, I was still good on most essentials, but this event was something new and exciting for me. I couldn't wait to see what I had, and then to put it away. Yes, I was excited about a menial chore, one that would probably take me an hour if I rushed, or three if I savored it. But that was just it. It was a break in my routine that provided me with some distraction and new stimulation that I craved so much. Upon entering the living room, I saw that three large pallets had been dropped in the entryway. Two of them consisted of multiple boxes and crates wrapped with cellophane, and the third was an almost perfect cube structure, about four or five feet any which way, that was made up of many white styrofoam rectangles all wrapped in cellophane. There was a big red tag on this pallet that read perishable. Though this last pallet stood out from the others, it is not what initially caught my eye. On top of the dry goods pallets, there was a wicker fruit basket with a note written on yellow paper attached. Though the fresh fruit looked lovely and inviting, tempting, really, as I hadn't had any fresh fruit in a quarter of a year, there was just something about the note. So instead of tearing into the fresh strawberries and bananas, I ripped the note from the handle of the fruit basket. It read as follows. Don't worry, this doesn't count as socializing we all just wanted to let you know that the world has gotten a bit... strange lately. We don't think it's anything to worry about, but we thought you should know that something is up since you don't have any access to news or current events. We won't give any details because we don't want to alarm you. But if you want to call off the bet, temporarily, we won't hold it against you. We can pick back up when everything has gone back to normal with no penalty for lost time. Honestly, we don't Think it is anything to worry about, but no one really understands it. So we are leaving it up to you. Just let us know on the whiteboard what you want to do. Did they really think I was going to fall for this? I mean, it was so obviously a ruse. I had made it four months and wasn't even struggling. No, no, they wouldn't trick me so easily. They had realized that I could actually win this thing. A realization that I had come to weeks ago. I wouldn't be swayed. They just couldn't stand the thought of shelling out 15k each. I went straight to the whiteboard after I finished reading the note. I had a message to send that they needed to hear, and I wasn't going to waste any time thinking about it. I wrote, in bold black letters, I'm still in this thing. The bet is on. In fact, I have more than enough supplies to last me through the end now. Don't bother with the next resupply. I'll see you in eight months. The living room lights flashed a moment later, and that was the end of it. They got the message. I'll be honest, the next four months were kind of a blur. As in, everything kind of merged together in my mind as a time soup. I do know that I refrained from writing anything else on that whiteboard, other than my obligatory quote of the month. I also know that never once in those four months did the lights ever flash. On the four-month anniversary of my resupply, however, I did take to the whiteboard again. I wrote a simple question to my friends, to my overseers, to my captors. What, no fruit basket today? I waited. I waited for five minutes to see if the lights would flash. I waited for another ten minutes. I waited for an hour, then two, then five hours. The lights never even dimmed a little bit. So I erased the cynical question. I was starting to get a little concerned. You guys still there? I wrote on the whiteboard. But nothing. For another four hours, completely nothing. Maybe the camera was down. But they couldn't all be down, right? So I went to the bedroom with a Sharpie and wrote as big and clear as I could on the broad wall opposite my bed, right in the main field of view of the main bedroom camera. Camera down? Need help? Still there? Flash all lights five times to confirm. Nothing happened. For three days straight, nothing happened. This was against the agreement we made. They had to respond to any request I made on the whiteboard. If they couldn't, maybe because of technical difficulties, then I could push the button and they wouldn't hold it against me. So I did what I thought I would never do. I pushed it. The quit button. The I give the fuck up button. Not just one button. I pushed them all. I ran around the apartment pushing every fucking button. Multiple times. For over an hour. They were supposed to override the lock as soon as the button was pushed. They had to. It wouldn't override itself, but nothing happened. I waited by the lock, with my ear to it like a safe cracker, listening for the electronic whir of the servo inside. Battery guaranteed for five years or your money back. But I heard nothing. Did I miss it in my frantic melee of button pushing? I pulled and tried the door handle, but it wouldn't give. Guaranteed security against break-ins, indestructible and unhackable, or your money back. Fucking hell. It was a deadbolt, with no access from the inside. No security panel, no screws or bolts to access, and no electronics to MacGyver. Just a flashing green light to let me know that the lock company was being honest about the lock's battery life. And I couldn't break it or hack it either. I tried. I guess I wasn't getting my money back on this bitch. Well, I guess my rich friends weren't getting their money back. Human error at its finest. I spent the next two months writing messages for help on every wall, just hoping that one camera would flash into life for a second. If anyone saw the walls covered in writing all over my apartment, even if they couldn't read my plea for help, they would know that my mental health had declined, and they would have to stop the bet and let me out but I had no such luck. This told me that the cameras weren't down. My friends had abandoned me. I had two choices at this point. Either I could wait for the time to expire, only two months to go, or I could try and hack my way out somehow. My first thought was to break my window, the one that faces the alley. Fuck, I tried. But the glass they install on places this far up is strong. I even threw a chair at it, Didn't even scratch it. So that was a no go. I had to take stock of my situation. What did I have? What could I do? After some thinking, I remembered that, about five or six years ago, my phone had broken. Since I was such a social butterfly, I couldn't be without a phone for more than a day. So I had purchased a burner phone you know, a prepaid deal that I could activate on the fly. I had completely forgotten about it. But if I found it, and if it's still powered up, I could use it to call someone, or access the internet for help. But I didn't know where it was, or if I even still had it. There was a crawl space in the bedroom closet where I kept old and forgotten things. I assumed the phone must still be here, so I dived in headlong. My friends had taken away my actual phone at the start of the bet, so this was my only hope. At the front of the crawlspace, I found a small box of knickknacks. I pulled it free and started rifling through it in hopes of finding my salvation. Thank God above. There it was, at the bottom of the box. I pressed and held the power button. Nothing happened, though. It was out of juice. Now where did I leave the charger? I searched through the entire box, but it wasn't there. I pulled out several more boxes of shit from the crawlspace emptied and sorted everything in all of them, and I still couldn't find the phone's charger. The damn charger was specific to the cheap off-brand phone, so I couldn't just use a USB of any sort that I might have laying around. But if I had to jam a fork and wire hanger into the wall socket to get this bitch some juice, you better believe that I would. Thankfully, that wasn't necessary. I finally remembered that I stored the charger cable in a junk drawer in the kitchen a long time back. I retrieved it and plugged the phone in. After a few seconds, a battery logo with three stacking bars animated on the screen. It was charging. I waited for it to charge fully before I attempted anything. I wasn't going to tempt fate. It took three hours for the phone to fully charge. This was the longest three hours of my life, and I had just spent over ten months in isolation. But it finally charged, and all I had to do was activate it with a credit card. Simple enough. I had over $40,000 in open credit, and I would have spent every red cent to get 15 minutes on this golden little lifeline of 4G hope. I activated the phone and immediately dialed the number of the friend that I had originally set up the bet with. It went straight to voicemail. So I tried my six other friends that were in on the bet. All of these calls either went to voicemail or were stated as being numbers that were no longer in service. So I dialed my mom. Same story. I dialed emergency services only to be met with dial tones or nothing at all. This left only one option. I opened an internet browser. This was the most surreal part of everything. There was no news. Most websites were unresponsive. There were some archived articles talking about a new pandemic called the Red Plague. But the stories I was able to read seemed rushed and lacking in information. Not that there was much to read on it at all, given the state of the internet. The bulk of the information I got told me one thing. That my friends were likely dead. Really, that most of the world was likely dead. I figured the only reason I had utilities at all is because my city's electricity was hydroelectric, which can generate power for quite some time without human intervention. Also, I probably only had water because my apartment building has a huge cistern on the roof. This one disturbed me because if everyone in my building was using the cistern reserves, it might last a month. However, if most people had died in the last few months, it would just be me. Since I showered infrequently, no need to clean up for a night on the town, and only used water to drink and flush the toilet otherwise, This water might last me for over a year. This really unsettled me. Apparently, the automated world can run for quite some time without human intervention. This would mean that I could be the only person left in my city. Hell, could I be the only one left in my building? It's a whole apartment complex. Would people have made it out? Could they all have died here? I could be living in a building potentially full of hundreds of corpses. Or no one at all. A standard of living that I, until now, was pleasantly unaware of for a long time. Just imagine going about your daily life with the rotting remains of people above, below, and to every side of you. All the while you read books about life, springtime, and love. It's chaotically beautiful, really. Well, shit. That all brings me here, to Reddit. Who'd have thought that this would be the one active site on the whole internet when the world ends? I saw your AMA. And every other post on every other thread on the front page. Granted, I know your last update was like four or five months ago. But I did see that no one else responded. Perhaps that makes us the only two people left. I don't know. But for your sake... I hope someone else made it down to Antarctica. The time on my lock expires in three days. I have made some plans to go down there and find you. I'll give you a call, if I can, on this shitty network after I post this. I don't really know what to expect when the time expires and I'm released from my captivity. I don't know if I am immune to the Red Plague, or if I should take some sort of precautions, or if it has died out since everyone else died. I'll do what I can. I, for reasons I can't explain, have a gas mask. I'm strapping it on before that door unlocks and I'm not removing it until I'm on my buddy's yacht. So that brings me to the heart of this post. Since you posted in Ask Me Anything, I should pose my question. You seem to be a scientist and a survivor, so I'm really hoping you have a good answer for me. You have three days to respond before I have to figure it out for myself. No rush, but here it is. How do you sail a yacht?
0: You know, we're not the only horror story podcast that makes overt references to Reddit. But that's beside the point. I strongly suggest, if you have experienced some confusion regarding this story, that you go back and listen to the story, Patient Zero. As always, we here at the Hidden Archives want to extend our sincere gratitude to you for listening. We will be with you again in two weeks' time to share the next of our disturbing tales as we continue our third season. There are many more stories from the Hidden Archives that have yet to be shared. We hope that you join us next time for another Glimpse Within. This has been a production of the Rhodes Collaborative Experience, LLC. Please no reproduction, duplication, or bastardization of any content without written consent from RCX or its partners. Ex Animo. Ex Tempus. And Archivum.